mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? your Bibles with me to first, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to be beginning in verse 12. If you'll remember with me, Peter is writing from probably prison. He's in the last maybe days of his life. It could be weeks to years, but probably the last days. He's probably about 70 years old, and he's soon to be martyred by Nero. He's going to be killed by Nero, um, and he's writing us to Make sure that we understand that false teachers were already there. They're coming. The spirit of Antichrist is, is going to be here, and it's going to get worse and worse. And he's reminding us, as we've covered in the first 11 verses of chapter 1, is that faith is not just saying a prayer. Faith is, is not just saying, I believe, but we're supposed to add to our faith. They're supposed to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're not supposed to just stop at saying, oh, I believe, you know, because the demons believe and they tremble. The demons know for sure that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And, and they have no capacity to get saved because hell was created for fallen angels demons it was not created for flesh and blood but those same fallen angels want to deceive you and me so that we will go to hell with them and not worship the lord those same fallen angels are just as happy with you worshiping yourself or worshiping anything but giving god the worship and that's why it's so important that we understand the deception because most of us are serving self, and that's worship of self. If you're not giving your worship to God, then you're being deceived by demons. And the only way to know what truly you should be doing and who you should be worshiping and who you are worshiping is by being in the Word of God, coming to the throne of God, and allowing the Spirit of God to lead you in everything that you do. And then there's going to be evidence of that growth in your life. Then you can see here that in verse 10, he says, chapter 1, 2 Peter, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, if you're practicing these things, you will never fall, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. 
We're supposed to be adding to our faith. Faith is not a spectator sport. We don't sit in a seat on Sunday morning and hit, let somebody talk to us and we go away feeling good because your feelings deceive you. You need to know truth and apply truth. You need to learn word and build a relationship with God that is real and personal. But when all you do is sit in a chair and you go, yay, rah, yay, rah. I think the guitar was out of tune. Yay, rah. Somebody's talking about Jesus. Yay, rah, yay. That's not Christianity. That's deception. That's apostasy. That's culturanity. The body of Christ is all working together to reach the world, the lost, those stumbling for the slaughter, those that, are, that, that we know are still where we were once, dead in their trespasses. We're supposed to become knowledgeable, grow in our relationship, and then go and tell others. He's using us as ambassadors, as witnesses, as someone who would testify of this great salvation to the people that we have a sphere of influence with. And they should see evidence. They should see a life that is changing. It's interesting. We were in 2 Kings Friday night, and, and um, there was people testifying. Of somebody being restored to life. You can tell when somebody's restored to life. You can tell when their character begins to change. You can tell when their language changes. You can tell when there's an inside work going on. People want to obey God. And the first step of obedience is to get baptized in water and become identified. There's supposed to be tangible evidence in a life when it comes to Jesus. It's not just I go to church. It's not just I believe in, in God. It's not just a cultural thing to where you feel good and you feel special. Believe me, we have to wake up in America. We have to wake up because today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for deliverance from the sin nature, deliverance from the deception, deliverance from the false gospel that the devil is preaching out there. We have to wake up and begin to understand that this word is what makes us sure that we're going to receive an internal inheritance in the kingdom of our God and live with him forever. And if you are not in this word, I guarantee you, you don't know who God is. I used to do this to my guys at Trinity Mission. They would get so mad at me. I had to meet with them. I had to counsel with them. I had to talk to them. I'd say, you're reading the word? And they'd go, yeah. i go, no, you ain't. They go, what do you mean, no, I ain't? I go, you're a liar. You ain't reading it. Well, yes, I am. I go, no, you ain't. And they go, what do you mean I ain't? I go, well, when a person reads the Bible, they change or they leave. You either change because you're looking at yourself in the mirror and God's power is real or you leave. You're right. I ain't reading it. Of course I'm right. Because the Bible testifies of itself. And when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible daily, it's impossible to stay who you are and go with God. Listen to me. Because God's power is not something that is like, uh, well, you're going to use it on me today? No, it's always there if you draw near. If you confess your sin. If you trust His Word. Even when you don't feel like it. It's like taking medication 
And people love to take medication, and I'm not picking on people for taking medication, but you're real regimented with it because you're worried and you trust in it. So you get these little bitty boxes that have the days on them, and you fill them up to make sure you remember you took it. And then you take it, but you have no idea about what's in it. Oh, yeah, I had some people tell me, oh, yeah, I know, because I did a little bit of chemistry. So you might know a couple names in there. But what about the side effects? What about what it's doing when it actually goes into your body? How is it changing your biology? What is it doing in you? You don't know that, but you still trust it. And that's the same way the Word of God is. If you read it, you go, I don't understand it, so I quit reading it. Listen, if you take it, it will accomplish what its purpose to do. It's living and active. It goes in. It's way better than pharmacy. It's way better than medicine that we get from man. But we trust in man, and we do it diligently, and we make sure we get our medicine, and we make sure we run to the doctor. But what about the great physician who knows perfectly what's wrong with you? What about the great physician who brought the precious blood of Jesus and a perfect sacrifice that knows exactly the ailments of your soul and your spirit and your life and in your heart the depths of it? So when you take the Word of God and you begin to read it, it goes deep down and it cuts away at those things and it performs this surgery on you that changes you into the image of the living God. And all you have to do is draw near. And then ask Him for strength and power and might to draw near. And then ask Him for a desire to draw near. And He'll draw near to you. And He'll do heart surgery. He'll change your desires. He'll change what you look at. He'll change who you are. And then you don't, you don't go... Give somebody else thanks for it. You thank him for it. Listen, if you follow the prescription of the word, prayer, and fellowship, confessing your sin, if you follow the prescription that God laid out, the bread of life, manna from heaven, Jesus is that bread. Spend time with him. He is the word, the logos. He's the living word of God. God spoke and he used Jesus, his word, to create the heavens and the earth. We talked about it a while ago. He spoke and his word went out to heal the land because the word is enough. It's sufficient. It's there as good medicine for no matter what's going on in your life. He spoke. And then as he spoke, we're going to see as we get into our text today, prophets, men inspired by God, wrote it all down for us. It's right here. They died to preserve and protect it. They were diligent in making sure that you and I had a testimony, had a witness, had an understanding of what was going on and what God was doing. And yet the church, not picking on the real church, most of the people that go to church and say, I believe in Jesus, they ignore their Bible. They ignore their Bible. So what you're essentially doing is ignoring God. This is his revelation, his uncovering of what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do, what's going on on the planet. His word relates to us. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You cannot hear God's voice unless you read his word. What? 
He can't, yes, he can speak to you in your intellect. He can speak to me in my heart. He can tell me things. But if I don't know the word, I don't know if it's lining up with his character, nature, and will. I don't know when somebody says something to me, I go, and I'm hearing that. I'm like, what? And, I, and I'm not in that, but I've heard the audible voice of God. I heard it in my intellect. He used my intellect. I was about six months old in the Lord, and then somebody asked me to give my testimony, and I'm like freaking out. And I got on my knees, I got on my face, and I said, Lord, what should I do? And he clearly said, go, I will be with you. And at six months old in the Lord, I spoke before 3,000 people and gave them my testimony. And when I left, they were in tears. So I know that was a move of God. I know that was the work of God. I don't live on that, but I know that God spoke to me. I don't live on that emotion or that experience. I live on the truth of God's word and trust him daily. Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Who are you going to for counsel? What are you reading? Are you reading your Bible? See, somebody told me the other day, oh, I pray all the time. I said, well, who are you praying to? I said, who are you praying to? Silence. Only thing they can say is God. Silence. They don't know the character and the nature and the person of the Bible or the God that the Bible reveals. But you can know that by studying the scriptures. You can see his faithfulness. You can see his character. You can see who he is and what he's been doing, what he's doing now, how, how, how he takes care of his children. How he protects them, how he promised the Messiah, how he fulfilled that. And he's fulfilled every single promise he's ever made. Listen. You can only pray with knowledge when you study the Bible and get in it with Him. You can't live a Christian life with knowledge without the Word of God as the instruction manual. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools hate wisdom and instruction. Listen, it's Proverbs 1, 7. The fool has said in his heart, no to God. I don't want your wisdom, don't want your instruction. Well, why not? Because I'm not going to obey it anyway. And see, that's the reason most people don't read the word. They're not looking to obey it anyway. They've said a prayer. They think they're okay. I was born in America. I'm a Christian. I don't need any more instruction. I got this. Really? What about Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What about blindness? What about spiritual deception? What about the devil? What about all the other things that is going to take you down to hell? You really got this? This is serious stuff. This is about heaven and hell. It's not about a job. It's not about whether I work at this company or that company. Oh, everybody's hired. Who cares? There's every other road and there's one to heaven. There's every other way, and Jesus said, I am the way. And you can't do it your way. You have to do it his way. And if you don't read the instruction book, you don't know what his way is. You just think you're okay because you listened to a good fluffy sermon that said, oh, if you say a prayer, you'll be fine. Really? Is that biblical? Show it to me, and we'll all do it. But we're believing man's word instead of God's word. God did not send man's word to save your soul. He sent his word. Man can't save you. Man's religion can't save you. 
The way the landscape of the world and the church looks today, it should put fear in all of us to find out personally if we really have evidence of salvation. Find out personally. I was listening to a pastor the other morning. He's been a pastor. He's a popular pastor on the radio. He's been a pastor for years. He's been a Christian all of his life pretty much. Got saved when he was a young kid. Was a youth leader. And he said, I went in. I was studying for this text. And I went in. And at first it, it shook me. I said, that's, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. He went in. He said, I went in. And I got on my knees before God and said, Lord, if I'm not saved, I want to be saved. I want to make sure it's real. Because while you're breathing this air, this is the time to make sure it's real. If you doubt your salvation, if you're not in the Word of God, you, you have a lot of reason to doubt it. And, and listen, somebody would get mad at me for saying that, but there's something wrong if you don't desire the things of God and you say you belong to God because everything that God is doing is conforming you into his image again like he did in the garden before sin. And it all entails the word prayer and fellowship. It all entails drawing near to him. It all entails obeying what he's called us to do. And the first thing we do is we believe in his propitiation, his payment, his atonement, his son Jesus and his precious blood. And if you do that, the spirit comes in and seals you. It's actually a canning term. You ever see somebody sealed jars when they're canning and preserving it and you're putting it up for later see we're being preserved for heaven it is actually that it seals you until the day of redemption it's the earnest money like you would put down on a house or a car where you give people money you gotta be back i'm gonna go get a loan that's what Jesus did when he gives us the first fruits of the spirit and he puts it in our heart and he seals us and he says they're mine so that the devil can't get to you. Because you're sealed. Does it, mean now, does it mean now that there won't be any problems in life? No, there's going to be some problems in life. But usually you're wrestling with God instead of wrestling with the devil. You just think it's the devil and the devil's deceiving you because you don't know the word of God. You're wrestling with God. You're disobeying God. You're wrestling with his will. You're wrestling with obeying him. You're wrestling with him, not the devil. The world is wicked. The devil's evil. But you're already preserved. Now everything that's going on in your life is God, the great physician, doing surgery on you. And he wants you to surrender and obey. He wants me to surrender and obey. How's that going for you? I mean, Peter just told us that if we add to our faith, we'll never stumble. Really? Maybe we need to get our calculators out and begin adding. Maybe we need to begin looking to God instead of looking at ourselves and what we want to do. Maybe we need to look to God instead of looking at our careers, looking at God instead of looking at other people and going, look what you're doing. Maybe we need to start looking to God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, people. Don't cut the messenger's head off like they did with John the Baptist. This is what we're supposed to be practicing. Not still practicing sin, not still practicing hating people, not still practicing unforgiveness, not still practicing sons of disobedience and evil, and then thinking we're okay. But that's the culturality that we see. Listen, if you don't have a desire to add to your faith and practice righteousness and cry out to God and mourn over your sin, you're probably not saved. It's that simple. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man 
sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. You do not want to reap the whirlwind. That's the wrath of God. We need to wake up as a church. We need to wake up as a church. You know, when the church was birthed, they hated them. They didn't want them around. You know what we call those people today? Holier than thou and Jesus freaks. I don't want them around. They're a little too saved. Really? What if they're just saved and you're not? What if they're just saved and you're quenching the spirit and ignoring God? What if they're just saved and real about their faith? Now, we, we, we talk bad about people who are reading their Bibles and talking about Jesus in our culture today. We don't want it. We need to wake up in the church is all I'm telling you, especially now as we see the day approaching. In fact, before I read today's text, the last thing I would tell you, you can turn backwards about 10 pages, and it's right there in Hebrews chapter 10. I marked it. I have it memorized, but I marked it so we would turn there. It says, and let us consider one another. Listen, it's not just about you. See, that's the selfishness of the Christian life that's not real. When everything in your life is just about what you're doing, that's still good old-fashioned sin and selfishness and Satan. Let's consider one another. See, Jesus was perfect, inerrant. He was holy, tried and true, sitting in heaven, didn't need anything because you can't change him. And still he considered us. And he descended from heaven and became flesh and allowed a woman to carry him for nine months. And then he came underneath the, the laws that his, his, his own father had set. And he began to follow them and obey them perfectly. Listen, he considered us only. He wasn't considering himself. Everything he went through does nothing for him. Nothing. He already had all honor. He said, Father, restore me to the glory I had before when I was with you. He had to descend. He had to condescend. He had to humble himself and come low and become like us. You can't add anything to God. If he was hungry, he wouldn't ask you for a sandwich. He doesn't need anything from us. He's given all of his love to us. And then he wants us in his character, in his nature, because of his spirit and his word, and because of his blood, to consider others, to consider one another, in order to stir up love and good deeds. Why? Because we're supposed to be good doing good deeds. That's what we were born again for, to do the work of God, and not to forsake we're supposed to forsake our sin, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. If you don't see the day approaching, I guarantee you, you ain't saved. There's Christians out there right now. Listen, I'm not being mean. I'm not trying to make you guess your salvation. I'm trying to make you know that you're saved. There's Christians out there right now saying, oh, the economy we cover. Joe Biden won't be president forever. Oh, we're everything will be back to normal in a few days, a few years. Everything's good. Just store away your little nuts and get ready. It'll be fine. That's not even Christianity in the first place. Nevertheless, the second place, if, if the world was rocking right now, that's still not Christianity. 
Why would I put my trust in the economy, in the government, in the political party? Why would I put my trust and faith in something that's physical when I know that I'm spiritual? Listen, we got to wake up. So with Christians out there, probably 80 or 90% of them saying, it'll all get better, just wait. God's good. He wouldn't do this to us. Did you see what he did in the Old Testament to his own children, his firstborn son? That's what he's called, firstborn son, the nation of Israel. Because they would not obey, because they ignored him, because they would not be led by the word of God and obey it. Did you see what he did? But he didn't give up his promise. He, did, he didn't divorce them forever. He's got to work. He's going to finish with them. He loves us with a never-ending love, but he will chastise those he loves. He'll spank your butt because spanking a butt is the right thing. I don't care what the government tells you. When you spank a butt, you get somebody's attention. It's serious stuff, guys. Why would our own government make laws that you can't spank your children? Well, because they're underneath the sway of the wicked one. They're evil. They want to parent your children. They want to take your little girls across state line and get abortions. They want to do what they want to do with your children instead of you because God gave you a command to train them in the way they're supposed to go. Not train them in the world they're supposed to go in. Train them in the way and the truth and the life. That's your first calling, to train them in the way they're supposed to go. Listen to me. we got to wake up. This is serious stuff. Right now, with everything on the landscape, the government is training us because Antichrist is coming. One world government is coming. One world religion is coming. One world economy is coming. One world is coming. And there's only one true world government, and that's going to be Christ in the millennial reign. But the devil wants to be like, but he's Antichrist. Listen, it's coming. Whether you believe it or not, it's coming. Whether you wake up or not, it's coming. And they're conditioning you to listen to them like they're God. They're conditioning you to respond and be afraid and jump and listen to what they're saying and do what they say instead of do what God says. And listen, I'm telling you right now, people are going to give in. People are going to go say, ah! I, I'm tired of fighting them. I have to take care of my kids. I have to go to work. I'm going to do what they say. Because what's the big deal anyway? The big deal is if you know the word of God, it says what's coming. It says what's happening. It tells you that the devil is deceiving. It shows you the finality in Revelation 18, 23, that they deceive to their pharmacy, to their sorcery. It tells us if you know the word of God. Listen to me. we got to wake up. I know I'm on a soapbox, but I'm telling you what Peter was emphatically saying when he knew he was getting ready to die. And when you listen to a person when they die, listen, deathbed confessions, deathbeds, they don't make up lies. They usually come true with what lies they've been telling all their life long. They usually want to clear their conscience because they want to be right with God. This is pretty much his swan song because he knows he's getting ready to die. How does he know that, Greg? We're going to see in a minute. Jesus told him he wasn't going to see the rapture. Remember John 21? He told him. It's a swan song. What would you want to tell people if, if you were on your deathbed? What would you want to say? 
Remember they brought, they brought, this is a, a, my pastor used to do this. They brought John back from the island of Patmos because they couldn't kill him and they cast him out there and they brought him back and he's a, he's the head pastor or the, you know, whatever, the counseling pastor there in Ephesus, modern day Turkey where you can't even be a Christian or they'll kill you. 99% Muslims. And he's there and they're all clapping and he's standing at the window and they're all clapping and he's like. Love one another. And then they all clap again. That's all he has to say. His last words. But what kind of love? Love that leaves Jesus out? Love that leaves out that all are sinners? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? That's the religion going on today. Don't talk about that, Greg. That really messes up our children. This next generation don't want to hear how bad they are. They want to recycle. Listen, I'm not being mean about the next generation. And somebody was talking about them the other day, and I go, you know what the problem is? And they go, why? I go, the parents. We're the ones that dropped the ball, the previous generation. We're the ones that gave them everything. We're the ones that made them feel entitled. We're the ones that brought this to them instead of bringing them a true gospel that says, you're a little sinner, and I'm going to spank your butt. Because if you beat your child, you'll not kill him, but you'll deliver his soul from hell. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't ref- it's not meaning to, to abuse your child. But it's meaning to do whatever means necessary to deliver their soul from hell, to guide their heart, because it's the heart that matters most. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life, everything about life. Proverbs 4.23. So anyway, this is what we need to understand is that we're supposed to be considering others in order to stir up. Are you worried about stirring up other people to love and good deeds? That they would love Jesus, that they would do the work of the ministry, that they would go out and witness? Peter was. Peter was. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The body of Christ is a family, as is the manner of some. Do you know that so many people have left the church because of COVID? They'll do everything else. They'll go everywhere else in society to work, to the store, to the play, to entertainment, to the amusement park. But they won't go to church because they're afraid they'll catch COVID there. That's just an excuse because they don't know Jesus. Because if you know the Word of God, you know the safest place to be is the Sunday equipping of the saints. You know, the safest place to be is in the middle of the, word of God, middle of the will of God. And you can take all those other things out of your life and still be good for eternity if you build a relationship with God. But so many people have not returned from COVID, but they've returned to everything else in their life. That's, that's the self-life. That's not doing anything else. You know what? When I see faces here, you know what it does to the pastor? When you see faces every Sunday morning... It encourages me, and all the more as I see the day approaching. But when I see people not showing up and not caring, I just say, what's going on with them? Now, I understand spiritual confusion. I understand deception. I understand stumbling. I understand that we've got things to do. But being at home sorting your socks is not things to do. Being at home in fear cowering is not the thing to do because the righteous are bold as a lion. And you should do everything possible. I, I, for, for I don't know how many years, 24 maybe? I get my clothes ready the night before. 
I go to bed early on Saturday night. Not just because I'm the pastor. I did it before I was a pastor. Because I have a meeting with the king to be equipped. I'm going to hear a message, not from my pastor, not from any man, from God. He's speaking. But we are so asleep, so apostate, we do some spiritual service where we show up and we feel good about ourselves. Do you know that God loves you with a perfect love and you can't change that love by good or bad? That's what it means when God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You were the worst sinner on the planet. You were separated from God. He was going to send you to hell, and he died for you. He loved you that much. You can't change his love. You can twist it and think you're okay and you're saved because of something you do, but it's got nothing to do with that perfect blood that perfect salvation, that perfect sacrifice, that perfect love that God already loves you. He's not mad at you. The devil wants you to think, if I did good, God's happy. If I do bad, God's mad at me. No. No, that was your brother. That was your dad. That was somebody else. That's not God. God's love does not change one bit because of what you do or don't do. But he's given you the privilege to be in his family and reconciled to him and come and learn and know him in a relationship and then go and tell others. Go and live it out in front of them and not be afraid of mankind. Not be afraid of anything they can bring. Oh, it doesn't mean you don't have emotions or feelings. It doesn't mean that it won't break your heart if somebody dies. But death is not the end of it all. Death has no victory. Death has no sting. Because we are going to live forever in the presence of Almighty God. Unless, of course, you're a pit dweller and you like it down here. The day is approaching. And so many people are staying home. They're not coming to church. They're not concerned about other brothers and sisters. They're not concerned about people who are dying. You know, I'm concerned about people that would get COVID because if they don't know Jesus and they get COVID and die, they go to hell. But they might die of a motorcycle accident. They might die of anything. We're all going to die. Physically, we don't all have to die spiritually. If you'll remember, Jesus died in the flesh, but his spirit was alive preaching to the captives in hell. Your spirit never dies, people. Listen to me. Wake up to this. You are a spirit in a body. You are on trial. You are making decisions right now, being transformed into the image of God if you're listening and obeying or being deceived if you're not. You're a spirit that's going to live forever, but your body will die. When we go to heaven in a twinkling of an eye in the rapture, if we know Jesus, we get a new body that will be a body designed for that atmosphere, for that place. Whatever we need will be with it. This body is designed for down here. Just like somebody going scuba diving. You don't go dive in the ocean and go 90 feet down without some equipment. You don't get into a, a, an F-14 Tomcat and fly off you know, without putting on equipment so that you don't just pass out. You know, there's all these things that are going on. You have to have the right equipment. God has provided us the perfect body for down here, but it's going to die. It's made to wear out. When you use it, it wears out. And, it, and 
Paul says that that's just, when you have pain, when you have suffering, those things are, are the body groaning for redemption. He says the whole planet is groaning for further redemption. That's pretty amazing. I better get back on our text. You guys are just talking too much. We're out of time. I thought I could finish this whole text. Okay. Verse 12, 2 Peter, first chapter, verse 12. For this reason I will not neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, my exodus. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, made more sure, which you will do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, but for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, may we be moved by the Holy Spirit today. For as many as are led by your Spirit, these are the children of God. Lord, that would be a good evidence. If your Spirit convicts us, if your Spirit leads us, if your Spirit is teaching us, then we know that we are your children. But it's only your children that hear your voice, and you know them, and they follow you. So, Lord, we ask now that you would wake us up at the heart of our Christian walk. Give us light so that we can walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, really, I'm going to go back through this, but I don't need to because I just preached it to you. Okay? Now we're going to go back through and teach it to you. I just preached it. We're going to teach it now. For this reason, for this reason, wherefore I will not neglect, is what the King James says, What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that you're supposed to be adding to your faith. Verses 5 through 11. He's talking about that and he wants to keep reminding because there's going to be other teachers that come and they just, they just fluff it all up and they want you to build their little kingdom down here and they're not going to teach you the truth. They're just going to say, if you say a prayer, you'll be fine. You get to go to heaven. Everything's good. Just keep living in the world and out there on the playground. On the, uh, but it's not a playground. It's a battleground. We're battling for souls. Jesus came and he won the battle. We don't fight for victory. We stand in victory because of the cross of Christ. But soldiers that are called, Paul tells Timothy, no one, no one enlisted to be a soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who called him to be a soldier. So this stuff out here that's physical, we're not supposed to get entangled with. 
Do we go through it with compliance? Do I work and get a job and take care of my family? Yes, because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And if he doesn't take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. I mean, so we still do those things, but while we're doing them, everything that we're doing as a soldier in the army of the living God is to make sure that we are witnesses and ambassadors for the kingdom of God, and people will know that there's a light that shined in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. John 1.5, the darkness can't comprehend it. Only the Spirit of God can give you comprehension of the light that has been shined, the light of the world, and wake us up. So Peter, in his swan song, in the last things, I want to tell you something, and this is what I want to tell you. Don't neglect your salvation and think it's okay because you said a prayer. I'm not going to neglect to make sure you have a reminder. He's going to be diligent. He's saying, you be diligent in your faith, and I'll be diligent in what I'm doing. And that's the way you pass the baton. That's the way you're a good soldier. You're diligent in your life so that one another, somebody else can see a witness of a good soldier in the army of the living God. So he says he'll remind you always of these things. You know, to, to, to continue to repeat myself is not tedious, Paul said over in chapter 3 of Philippians. And I do it all the time. It's one of the best, best teachers if you want to remember something, carry scripture in your pocket and keep reading it over and over. It's not tedious. It's washing your brain. It's washing your soul. You're learning scripture. You're learning the word of God that's living and active. It's not tedious. He's going to remind you, though you know, listen, gnosko, it's a general knowledge, and are established... Established means to set fast. You know, the day after somebody pours cement, that's not the day to try to go get it up. It's already established. It's set fast. You want to try to get it back out, you want to do it like moments after you pour it. <laughs> and then you still got issues. Anyway, it means this. It means literally. This is what established means. Literally. To turn resolutely to a certain direction. See, they already know the truth, and he knows that because he's writing Christians. He's not writing the world. The Bible's not for the world. The Bible is for Christians that are filled with the Spirit, sealed, and they have eyes to see because the Spirit, when you draw near, will give you eyes to see. And you say, well, I've been reading, and I don't understand it. Eventually, you will. Just keep reading. Just stay in it. Just don't stop taking the medicine. It does good for your soul. So he says to turn resolutely to what he's asking them to do, to be diligent in the Word of God. When you know the Word of God, you're not going to follow rabbit trails of false teachers that are saying all the things that they say. I can't even make them up for you. There's so many of them. But they don't line up with the Word of God. Even some of them that you think are good teachers. Because it's hard to be popular with the world and think that you're popular with God or doing the will of God. Because if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Listen to me. We just talked about that in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. And the, and, and the world we're talking about there is the, is, the, is the system or systems that are diametrically opposed to God. It's the systems of the Antichrist. It's the one world government that is coming. 
that God is allowing them with their plans to come to fruition, but he laughs at them in derision, and he's going to come and destroy them at the Battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Jezreel. And the blood will be up to the bridle of the horses, the Bible says. That's literal. Anytime you're reading the Bible, you take the literal sense or you'll come up with nonsense. Only time you don't take the literal sense of what the Word of God says is when it says it is like. It, it, it is compared to. When it tells you that it's not the literal sense and it is, that it's hyperbole, then you can, you can look at it and go, oh, that's what it is. But when it is just speaking to you, take the literal sense unless it's telling you to take some other sense. Because you end up with nonsense if you don't. Listen to me. Are you established in the present truth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead? Do you know that? Is that knowledge that you have? Did, did the Holy Spirit give you that with Epigonoskos when you recognize that Jesus was the only way? Or are you one of those 80% of Christians that believe that there's other roads that lead to heaven? See, they did a, a, a poll, and 80% of Christians believe that Jesus is not the only way. 60? 60%, okay. I believe that 72% of all statistics are made up anyway. So, do you guys hear that, though? How could any person say they're a Christian and believe there's other ways to heaven? See, and, and you can be funny about it and flip it and say, well, that's true. All roads do lead to heaven because they're going to all get to the throne room. And when they get to the throne room, they're going to be judged whether they knew Jesus or not. And then they're going to be cast into hell. So really, in, in, in literal sense, every road leads to heaven. But the only ones that are staying there are those that believe in the precious blood of Jesus. But that's not what those Christians that were uninformed and didn't know the word of God meant. What they meant was, oh, I'm afraid to offend anybody. So I'm not going to say anything about some other false lying God that can lead you to hell. And I'm just going to let those one another people, these other people go on to hell. I'm not going to declare the truth to them. That's what they meant. Are you established? Are you turned resolutely to know that this is the truth? 66 books by 40 authors. Do you know that this is the truth and everything God said has always come true? Or are you trapped in the world listening to their knowledge, which is pseudo-knowledge? It's earthly, central, demonic wisdom. It's only there to train you into to taking care of self, to being the best self, to building up self. God's already said that all self are sinners. That everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. That's what self does. That's what me and my natural man does. You don't want to know me in my natural man. But with the Spirit of God, I become a new creation. And then he begins to change us in the way that we speak and act and do. And we're works in progress. His poema. Yes, I think, verse 13, Peter, yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, remember, that's what Paul said in Hebrews, stir one another up. Stir one another up. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus showed me. You know what to stir means? This is so funny. Stir means to wake fully. To arouse from sleep. Isn't that amazing? 
that that's what Peter knows he's doing. And that when they're reading it in the Greek, they know that Peter's telling them that they're asleep. And he's trying to stir them up and wake them up. He's pouring water in their face from the Holy Spirit saying, wake up. Add to your faith. Don't believe in a cultural Christianity that doesn't save. It has wings that fly away toward heaven, but it doesn't get there. It's a false gospel. Do you know Jesus today? Have you turned resolutely? Are you established in this present truth? He's a person. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's not more than one truth. There's one truth. It's God's truth. Everything else is deception to try to deceive you from knowing the one true God. What do they start with? Think about this for a minute. What do they start with? In the beginning, God created. What do they start with? God didn't create. It was evolution. Christians who don't know the Bible, they go, okay, it was evolution, but God created it, and then he allows it to evolve, and he steps out, and he's not involved in it. See, that's the first compromise that the church made, because they don't want to argue and tell the world you're wrong with your evolution. Listen to me. They attacked at the very beginning. What did they attack next? They attacked marriage. God created everything. And then he said, here, Adam, here's your wife. And he said, whoa, man. And, and what did he do? He rushed right in and attacked the marriage. And he, and he deceived Eve. And Adam, being a man, saying, whoa, man, I don't want to lose her. I'm just going to go with her. He just voluntarily sinned. He wasn't deceived. He did it with eyes wide open. That's what men do. They rush in where angels fear to tread, and there they are. The New Testament blames Adam, not Eve, because Adam was supposed to be the ambassador, the one bringing the word to his wife, covering her with the word of God, making sure she understood truth. So I just want to stir you up by reminding you that we are in the last milliseconds of this planet. I don't know what that means. I really don't. But you know what? I don't know how old you are. I'm 57. I ain't got many days left anyway. So I'm in the last years of my life. So whether I go in the rapture or I go because of something else here really quick... I still, my time is real short where I'm going to meet Almighty God face to face. What about you? You ready to meet Him? This is what Peter says. He knows that shortly he's going to put off his tent. You know why he says tent? It's tabernacle in your King James if you've got a King James. Jesus uses this Related word over in, or not Jesus, excuse me, John does, speaking of Jesus. Remember John 1.14? Where he says the word took flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt there 
means to put on a tabernacle, to put on a tent. It's a temporary thing. When you go camping, you go in a tent. It's not a solid structure. This body here is supposed to wear out. It's temporary for our little period of camping out here and deciding whether we're going to believe God or disbelieve God, whether we're going to obey God or obey self. John, or excuse me, uh, Paul uses the same language. You can look with me over in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry. Ran out of time when I got started. Listen to me. I'm just going to read. It's 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, it's decaying, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day because we're adding to our faith. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, why? Because we walk by faith, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, just like your body and your tent, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, these spiritual truths we are learning are eternal. The Word of God endures forever. For we know, chapter 5, that if our earthly house, this tent, this tabernacle is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens we have a new body that he's going to put on us we're going to be further clothed for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed having been clothed questionable see that paul's question did you get clothed down here are you saved are you really truly saved we shall not be found naked for we who are in this tent groan being burdened not because we want to be unclothed but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. See, down here we always have the fear of death until we know that our life is spiritual, not physical. So victory has no sting anymore. So if you already know the truth, it's already swallowed up. The only thing you had to think about is, well, how am I going to go? Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Is God preparing you for this very thing? Is he preparing you for heaven? Who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Just wanted you to see that. Had to read it. This tent is very important to know. When you think about your body, you need to know this is temporary tabernacle. Now God is making your heart a sanctuary where he can live. He can live in your heart. Because that's what's going to be eternal. Your heart is like the middle of you, which is, is, is kind of like a, a type of your spirit. It's kind of like referring to that. Not your cardia here where it's boom, 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 boom. Because when that stops beating, that's your physical body dying. But this is the middle of you, which is your spirit. That's going to be with God forever. We better keep moving. And he said, knowing shortly that he's going to put off this tent. Just as the Lord Jesus showed him. You can look at John 21 when he was restoring him. What did he say to him? He said, Peter, when you were younger, you walk where you wanted to go. But when you're older, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And then the commentary is this, he said, referring to how Peter will die. Think about it for a minute. What's he talking about? He's not talking about somebody going, get over there, get over there. 
We're going to put you on the cross. He's talking about that when Peter is older, he's going to learn to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And he's going to go places that he doesn't really want to go. But as an ambassador, he knows he has to go because he's doing the will of God. He's going to surrender what he wants to do. When he's younger, when you before you knew Jesus, you did what you wanted to do. But now you're dead to self. And you're going places you don't want to go because the love of Christ compels you. And the reason he died was being a martyr because he was speaking to people like Nero and telling them the truth, and they killed him. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, so crucify me upside downward. And they said, okay, we're just killing you, so it doesn't matter to us which way we do it. Moreover, verse 15, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, after my exodus. That's what the word is in the Greek. It's exodus, his departure, his decease. He didn't say after I'm dead because he's never going to die. His physical body will die, but his spirit is with the Lord. His physical body goes in the grave, right? And when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air, and thus will be with Him always. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that in a twinkling of an eye, if we're still alive, twinkling of an eye, our bodies will be changed, the, the corruptible into the incorruptible. We get a new body on the way up. They get theirs coming out of the grave. The graves bust open. That's evidence of resurrection. Can you imagine when they're trying to explain using UFOs or whatever they do, the church leaving in the rapture, people are going to be going, why do UFOs want them dead people in the graves? All the graves are open in the graveyard. There's a whole bunch of graves open. Why is that one not open? Oh, he was, yeah, he never did. And they'll be able to look at that person and, and know that they never trusted Jesus. What about all these genealogies? You guys know that's all deception, right? Those genealogy sites, don't get yourself tested. You're just giving over body fluids. That's all you're doing. You're giving up body fluids to the government so they can track you and know you. Sorry. I know you guys don't want to hear that stuff. You guys think the government's good, don't you? No government's good. The only people that's good is underneath the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the only reason we can be called good is because of God being good. Not because of our own works, which we have done. Not because of our own righteousness, because of the, uh, uh, the renewing of the Holy Spirit that's married to us. Oh, I better keep going. He's going to make sure they have a reminder. For we did not follow. Notice he's following. That's what Christians do. They follow. What are you following? Are you following the government? Are you following a political party? Following your own self? Following your own plans? You got a little lifetime plan that you follow? And that's what they teach you in this demonic world. To plan it out like this. Doesn't mean that being diligent is wrong or planning things is wrong. But it's really hard to be led by the Spirit of God when you already got a plan. Because you'll be like this. I remember my first Christian message I ever heard was Tom Camp preaching in Numbers. Great book. Because God numbers everybody and he gives everybody a job. And Tom Camp was preaching about tent pegs. And he said, don't put your tent pegs in too deep. It's the same thing of planning your life too deep because this is not our home. Our home's up there. If your eyes are down here, then you won't do what God asks you to do because it doesn't fit in your plans down here of selfishness. 
And he said, don't put your tent pegs in too deep. You know why? Because when God says, hey, go over to Attica, you go, I can't. I got too much stuff going on here. I didn't, that must not have been God. It must have been pepperoni pizza because I can't go to Attica when I've got these two car payments and I got all this stuff going on. I can't go to Attica. My tent pegs are in too deep. See, I'm a tent. And if I put my plans in so deep, I'll be following myself instead of following the Spirit of God who's leading me. That was the first message I ever heard, and it wasn't nothing like that, but that's what I got out of it. That's what the Spirit of God told me about it. And I can guarantee you, Tom Kemp don't even remember preaching it. But you know what happens again with numbers? If the tent guy that has the pegs, everybody had a job and they moved nomadically, the whole church is working together. If the guy who had the tent pegs and he was carrying them so they could set up all of their camp, if he decides I'm mad this week and I ain't going, they can't set nothing up over there. That's why the body is so important to one another. No matter how you feel on Sunday morning, no matter how you feel, you should be involved. Because the best thing is, is you don't feel like coming, you come, you get blessed. Because that was the whole part was the devil was trying to keep you from a blessing. The devil was trying to keep you from getting filled. The devil was trying to keep you from being equipped. And at the same time, you were supposed to be encouraging the person across the aisle. And they go, oh man, wonder what's going on. I didn't see them this week and there's something. So I need to make sure I get to church. Since I've been saved, and I'm not appointing at me. The Spirit of God put it up on me. Since I've been saved, when the building's open, I'm in the building. And that's not legalism. That's the body of Christ being there for the rest of the body. When I go to work, I take my whole body with me. Never mind. I better quit. Listen, they didn't follow. What are you following? Listen, cunningly devise fables. Now, see, that looks like, what does that mean in the, in the English? But, but listen to me. Cunningly devised is one word. Uh, and it means something that was rendered wise. See, because we have this in the world. They tell you what wisdom is. They tell you what books to read. They tell you what's true and what's not true. The world does. And, and cunningly devised fables is talking about a sinister exception or a, a sinister exception to form sophisms. My goodness, you, know, you just made it more complicated, Greg. I didn't know what a sophism is. Anybody know what a sophism is? A fallacy, a lie. It's the word sophia, which means wisdom. Sophism is something that looks wise. It looks like it's true, but it's fake news. It's not real. It's a fallacy. And, and they cunningly devise it to get you to follow it. And Peter's trying to say, listen, this is not cunningly devised fables. This is not mythology. There's, listen to me. There is no Zeus. There is no Apollos. There is no Dima. There is no false gods. There is no Wonder Woman, because today we do it in Wonder Woman and Batman and superheroes. Those are all there as sophisms. They're fallacies to get you to think that even God is a fallacy. To get you to think that you can follow their logic and you'll be okay because you're a good person anyway. No, you're not. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means God has a glorious mark. It's a bullseye. And every time you try to do something, you miss the target. It's an archery term, believe me. You pull back the bow and you go, I'm getting better at this. And the arrow falls in the ground. Never hits the target. Jesus came and hit the target every time. The only way you're going to escape being a sinner with a sin nature is by believing in the blood and obeying. Believe in it, you're saved. But if you believe in it, you'll add to your faith. 
It's a sophism. He's saying we didn't follow this. We were following. Now keep stick with me, and I'll do it quickly. Uh, first of my 14 closings. But he tells us, listen, I'll tell you just real quickly what he tells us. What does he tell us? He goes, we didn't follow fables. It wasn't some fallacy. It wasn't something made up because how many false Christ had come and people had followed them and all of them got killed. He said, no, 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 no. We followed the true Messiah because the scriptures that all these people would know, the scriptures, the prophetic word was made more sure when we seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen, listen to me. That's where you and I find our truth to make sure that we have evidence that we're following him is in scripture jesus always pointed to the scripture the disciples always point to scripture why because everything about god is hidden in the scriptures watch this we didn't follow cunningly devised fables tales fictions mythology when we made known, when we certified to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it could also be said the power of his coming. Instead of just the power and the coming, because it all is together. When God comes to the planet, there's power. Because he can't separate himself from his power. But were eyewitnesses, they were inspectors, they were overseers of his majesty. His superbness, His glory, His splendor, His magnificence. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that happened at His baptism, right? But they didn't hear the voice. So he goes on to explain, I'm not talking about when Jesus was baptized, it's not in there, but, and we heard this phone, this voice, this phone, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What's he talking about? Go to uh, Matthew 17. It's also in Mark 9 and Luke 9, but go to Matthew 17. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration? The Mount of Transfiguration is what we're looking at. It actually begins, because I don't like chapter breaks, it actually begins in 1628 when Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Oh, power and coming? What are you talking about, Peter? Listen. Mount of Transfiguration. Now after six days, verse 17, or chapter 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, that was the three that Jesus had close, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Metamorphosis. That's what you and I are supposed to be going through in new creation, a metamorpho. We're supposed to be changing from one creation, sin nature, to another creation, righteous nature. It's like the caterpillar to a butterfly, metamorpho. It's in John chapter 12, 1 and 2. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. 
and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So you have Moses who represents the law. You have Elijah who represents the prophets. And they're talking with the grace of God that has appeared to all men, teaching us that we should, should uh, 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 deny worldly lust and live soberly and righteously in this present generation. So you have them talking with Jesus, the grace of God. Then Peter, one of the texts says, Peter having nothing to say said. See, Peter's writing this letter, and Peter, you can't take his zeal from him, because even when he had nothing to say, he said, i got to say something. Look what we got, Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking. i got to say something. So he said something dumb, because he wasn't led by the Spirit. He really does. Watch this. Watch what he does. He tries to stay in the old dispensation. He tries to stay in a place instead of going to where God was taking him. Watch what he does. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Oh yeah, it's good for you to see the coming and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ transformed and transfigured and showing him the future of what Jesus will look like. Oh my goodness, I can't get this done. If you wish, let us make here three tents, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see what he's doing? He's trying to put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. He's trying to put Jesus on the same level of worship with the law and with the prophets. He's trying to put Jesus as just a mere man. A lot of religions will do that. He was a good man. But what happens? The excellent glory, the Father in heaven, while he was still speaking, God interrupts him. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a phone, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why? Because we're no longer following the law. We're following Jesus' voice. My sheep hear my voice, and they, I know them, and they follow me. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces. Yes, you should fall on your faces and be very afraid with reverence and worship. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Listen, we're not into tent building we want to be clothed with the tent that's from heaven. The new righteousness is from Christ. He's building now in your heart a sanctuary. But notice they, they, they were on the mountain. They seen the majesty of God. You know what happens the very next thing? They come down and the other disciples are running to him and going, Jesus, 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 this guy brought his son with epilepsy and we can't cast out this demon. And it shows the, 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 the chaos of the world right now. So you can keep your eyes fixed on heavenly things and the transfiguration of Jesus and that he's coming back to get us and, and make it all about Jesus only. And the world is still in chaos. The world has got demonic activity going on everywhere. And Jesus just looks at him and says, come out of him. And he says, these kind only come out through prayer and fasting. Don't tell that to the American church. Nobody fasts in the American church. The only thing we do is say prayers real fast and get out of the building real fast in the American church. We don't ever fast. I'm not trying to be mean to the bride. Fasting is not about twisting God's arm, but fasting is about drawing near to find out what God's heart is. 
He doesn't want you building a temple or, or, or a tent or a tabernacle or any place to worship him. He's already built it in your heart. He wants you to come and meet with him in the word, prayer, and fellowship and surrender to what he's doing and get involved in what he's doing and stop doing what the world is doing in chaos. This is why he can tell you most certainly and certify because they seen the majesty of Jesus and his transfigured form. And if you go on reading, you'll find out that it said it was a vision, but that's what God speaks to visions. God speaks to visions to his people, but they always line up with the word of God. Notice the vision lined up with who Jesus really is. Back in our text, verse 19, he said, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, or made more sure, which you do well to heed, draw near to, pay attention to. To, uh, to, to use, it means, it means to, uh, to be cautious about, apply it to yourself, to hold your mind toward it. You do well, what? To, to make the prophetic word more sure in your life. To read the word, compare the word, make sure the word lines up with everything that people are doing. You know, I, I know you guys don't know this, and I go along and I talk a lot, but there's what's called NAR, NAR the New Apostolic Reformation. It's modern-day prophets, which, which, which are insane, and they make their word above the word of God. And Bill Johnson out at Bethel Church and Todd Bentley. You know, Todd Bentley was just normal guy. He gets saved, tattoos his whole body, starts doing drugs, divorces his wife and marries his secretary. He kicked an old lady in the belly and they call him a prophet. Is that the guy you want to follow to heaven? I mean, it's demonic. Francis Chan has joined him. There's a whole bunch of liars out there. And you got to be careful with this stuff or you'll believe them. Well, they sing real good. Really? Do they follow the word of God real good? Does it line up with the truth of scriptures? Because this is what Peter's talking about. We didn't follow some sophisms. We didn't follow something that looked true. We didn't follow some fallacy. But we followed the prophetic word that told about Jesus coming, told what he would do, completely had prophesied some 320 times of what he would be like, when he would come, how he would do it. And he is that Messiah. And the word is believable. The word is true. Yet the church ignores the word of God. Oh, they don't ignore it. They'll let somebody preach to them. But they don't have a relationship with the Word of God. I'm not being mean. They have the prophetic Word confirmed, made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Jesus is the light of the world. He shines in the dark world, and the dark could not comprehend it. They could not extinguish it. They could not overcome it. Look at John chapter 1. Or I can read it to you. This is very important because we, want to, we, we understand that we need to know. 1.5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. But he goes on to say, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that through him, that all through him might believe, trust in him for spiritual salvation. He was a witness to bear witness of the light that 
Oh, I already said that. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now listen to this, verse 10. He was in the world, who? Jesus. And the world was made through him, because God spoke, and the world did not gnosko him. You listening to me? Because, see, we need to know him. King James, know him not. Jesus come into the world. Do you know him? Or do you know his name? Do you pronounce it Jesus? Listen to me. It's very important. It's Jesus of Nazareth. It's the anointed of God, the Mashiach of God. He's the one that came, and the word, the prophetic word told us he would come, when he would come, the day he would come. Everything about it, he fulfilled Scripture, and that's what he's saying. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, the nation of Israel, but to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. And his name means his character, his nature, his will, his authority. Do you trust that? Or do you trust in something else? That light shines into the dark place. Not just the dark world, but our dark hearts. That light shines into your heart. That's where you want it shining at. And exposing the thoughts and intents of your heart. It peels back everything and says look there you you were acting like you were but you weren't and this light shines it it gives the intents of what you were really doing and you need to know that before you give up this physical life and to be real and to add to your faith so the light shines into the dark place what how long until the day dawns trumpet sounds new day and the morning star the day star until Jesus, that's who it is, rises in your hearts. Is Jesus rising in your heart? Are you being conformed into the image of God because of the prophetic word that's made more sure, because of the testimony we have through Scripture, because of the Holy Spirit leading you in the word of God? Knowing, there it is, Gnosis goes. Oh, wait a minute, that's Ido. That's Ido. Never mind, that's Ido. That's just a general knowledge. I are Knowing this first, the first thing you need to know, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, when you read this, because of the word interpretation, which really means explanation or application, you might think that it means, uh, well, it's not private, it's open, uh, anybody can know it. Listen. What it means is, is that the Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible is always going to conform to the Bible. The Bible is always going to say what it says, and you can find another witness someplace else about it. It's always going to confirm itself. It's always going to interpret itself. It's always going to be consistent because God never changes. You with me? You with me on that? It's not really talking about somebody teaching it bad. You can tell when they're teaching it bad if it doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. It has to line up. There's going to be other places. There's other things that, that, that there's other ways that it means interpretation too, like this. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, right? Well, Peter's going to say in a minute that it's not God's will that any perish, but all would come to 
Salvation? No, repentance. So see, these other things confirm and interpret and apply. You can't just read one scripture and take it out of context and say, I'm okay because I believed. Wait a minute, did you repent before you believed? Because that's the first word John the Baptist came preaching. So you have to change your mind in order to believe. So the Bible is giving you the whole context of God's heart and God's love. And in order to interpret it, you can't just take, let me get that scripture there, and I like this one, and I'm going to scratch these out. In order to interpret what God is doing on the planet, you have to be led by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. It's not a private interpretation where man can do it. Anthropos is the word for man there. Holy, holy men of God, hagios, saints of God, wrote down the scriptures, but how were they led? How are we supposed to be led? God's not doing anything new. He's doing what he's always done. He's bringing salvation to everyone who's ever been born because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's just leading them by his spirit in grace because there's no other way to be saved. And the holy men that wrote down the scriptures, now listen, prophets, you'll say prophets, but all of the Old Testament was written down by prophets. Moses was a prophet. But Moses also represents the law. Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, 15, to those that are standing there looking at him when he's getting ready to die, but God will raise up a prophet like me afterwards. And they thought they meant Joshua, but Joshua was just a type of Jesus. And Joshua happens to be the Hebrew for Jesus, which means God is salvation. Did you see what I just did? I just showed you where it was hidden in the Old Testament scriptures, what you need to know for the New Testament. Joshua and Jesus, same name, both mean God is salvation. And Moses said, God will raise up one like me, a prophet like me. And he says, anyone who does not listen to him will suffer punishment. He actually repeats this verse in chapter 3 of Acts. I shared it with a couple Muslims sitting right here one morning when they tried to tell me that they knew Jesus was a good man and that Allah was the same God. I said, no, no, no. I said, you missed this in the scriptures. And you need to see this. And I opened my Bible and I laid it in their lap and I said, read this. If you do not listen to Jesus, you will perish. It's in Acts chapter 3. It cannot just be we believe in some good prophet. But see, Joshua was a type, but it was always pointing to Jesus futuristically. Because God is always doing what he was doing. He hasn't stopped doing what he's been doing. He's been working until Jesus said, it is finished. To tell us die. Paid in full. Oh my goodness, this is good stuff. Listen to me. Prophecy. Old Testament, prophecy means, it, it means telling what's going to happen in the future. But prophecy for today means foretelling what's going to happen. Foretelling the word of God. That's what we're doing right now as we're led by the Holy Spirit. We're foretelling what's already written down. Because if it's new, it's not from God. And if it's from God, it's not new. He's already said. He's already spoken. He's already said everything he's going to say, and he's got it canonized right here in this book. So you can't have no NRA. You can't have NAR. No new apostolic reformation with people that said they're modern-day prophets, and they're telling you stuff that God's going to do or not going to do when it actually conflicts with the Bible. I mean, these guys have gold dust coming from the ceiling. They have, they have gold teeth coming in their mouth they say that they take their children in sunday school every day to heaven on, on sundays they say all kinds of crazy stuff 
And most people will still follow them. Because we want the emotional. We want the experience. Notice what Peter didn't say about the Mount of Transfiguration. We experienced it. No, he said we certify it. We know it. It lines up with Scripture. It was not an experience because people are going to have experiences, and I can't doubt your experience. There's a whole bunch of people writing books about what heaven is like based on their experience. But this Bible tells me everything I need to know about heaven. And what the devil is trying to do is take somebody's experience and change the prophetic word. See, this word is what you need to know is verbally, it's inherent, it is true verbally plenary, it is perfect in every way possible. And it has everything you need to know to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and get across the finish line. And that's what Peter's trying to point out. That even as he wrestled with it, even as he said to, to Jesus, you're not going to go die. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Even as he denied Jesus, even as later when he's, I don't know, 25 years old in the Lord, he refuses to eat with some Gentiles. And Paul has to rebuke him because he was making a distinction between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And he gets rebuked. There's no perfect Christians but we're supposed to be adding to our faith. And the only way to add to your faith is to make sure it lines up with the prophetic word made more sure. We were studying uh, Friday night, and I'll close with this because I know your seats are getting tired. Friday night, 2 Kings chapter 8, and who would have thunk that in the first six scriptures, it tells you of a Shumanite woman who when she obeyed the word of God, there was restoration of life. Her son had, actually, she made a place in her house for the prophet of God who brought the word of God. And her son died and he brought him back to life, restored him to life. And she obeyed the word of God and there was restoration of life. And then why do I tell you that? Because the very next scriptures is the king Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he tries to pay with 40 camel loads of, of great supplies. And he dies. Because he tried to buy his way. He tried to do it some other way than obeying the word of God. He tried, to, he tried to live life without obeying the word of God. The only way to be restored to life, see, because we're born dead. The wages of sin is death. We're born dead because we're born sinners. The only way to be restored to life is hear the word of God and obey the word of God. The first part is believing that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. But then you add to that faith. You add to that, you add to that, and you keep growing. And how do you do it? With the Word of God. If you come on Friday nights and listen to our Old Testament teaching, God is revealing the New Testament on every single page. Every single page, He's revealing the New Testament because it's the foundation. The Old Testament has the New Testament hidden in it, and then the New Testament reveals the Old Testament of what was being talked about with the prophetic Word. And not all of the Old Testament is prophecy. What, how much of the Bible is prophecy? I thought it was more than that. but Yeah, but there's a lot of prophecy in there. And just as sure as everything happened with Jesus coming the first time, guess what? He's coming again real soon. Any day. Maybe before I finish this sentence, we could be raptured out if we believe in Jesus. 
And that's the hope that purifies the church, is looking for His glorious appearing. Are you adding to your faith while you look for His glorious appearing? Or are you asleep in the world? Let me stir you up. Wake up. Wake up. Your salvation is nearer today than it's ever been. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word clearly has a commentary of the testimonies of everything that you've ever done, you're doing, or going to do. And as we see our world in chaos and darkness and your light shining in, we know that everything's falling right into place and that you're soon to take us home. So we pray for those who have not believed in your son Jesus and his blood. And we pray that they would surrender and confess you in their hearts and begin to add to their faith. We give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?